our opening verse today, or our call to worship verse, was taken out of Psalm 145. I'll just read that verse, and then we'll go into our sermon. Psalm 145, verse 13 says, For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. God will grow his kingdom. God is growing his kingdom. God has been growing his kingdom. Today is sermon number two of a series of sermons that I will be focusing on. We'll be focusing on for the next nine Sundays. And I can maybe pull up this chart here so that you, can, you can see it, what's on here. There's, there's basically nine sermons that I've chosen that we will go through for the next while. And they're all kingdom-focused. But they're all based on the parables of Jesus. So last Sunday we had the first parable. And that was the parable of the sower and the seed. And that parable basically stated that there are different types of soil representing different types of people. We talked about the unbeliever, we talked about the shallow believer, and we talked about the divided believer, and we talked about the believer. And the believers are the ones that, in the end, they produce fruit 30, 50, and uh, 30, 60, and 100-fold, and they're the ones who ultimately, in the final end, are of any value. So this morning, for, to open my sermon, I want to use this statement. God is scattering his seed, the gospel. It is going out into the world, into many places. And it's falling on ground, some good ground. It's growing and producing wonderful fruit. That's what's happening. God's kingdom is on the move, has been on the move, and will continue. It has been continuing and will continue as we, as we continue living. Before I read the parables in today's sermon, I want to... I want to... Um, do a backdrop on this this story, and there's some things that need to be mentioned before we read Matthew chapter. I mean, Luke Luke chapter 13. There's some some passages that we need to read before that, and so I just want to create a little bit of a backdrop. Kingdom living isn't easy, and if we have this idea, I'll become a Christian, so life will be easier. That is wrong. That does not work. Kingdom living is difficult. Jesus told his disciples that. It's going to be a tough journey, he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world, and so we can rest assured in that. But the reality is the church has an enemy. The church is not free from that. We live in a culture that's anti-God. The church has, the church has to be on guard, has to be vigilant. The church always has to pay attention to what's going on. We can never let down our guard, so to speak. But we also know there's this tremendous pressure this, this pull for these two, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, to, the, the, the kingdom of darkness wants to overpower, they, wants to, they want to, to engage. And we as, the, as part of the kingdom of light have to be on guard. And we have to work hard at this. It's not easy. There's a lot of people in our world who think that it's, it's okay if we engage, if we mix, if we, if we interact and so on. And so that leads to either unbelief or shallow belief or divided belief, whatever there may be. And when churches are made up of these types of believers, either unbelievers, it's true, there's some churches who are largely unbelievers, or they're shallow believers, meaning the, the rocky soil that we talked about last time, or the hard soil, the unbelievers, and the divided believers, the believers that are so distracted in so many areas they produce no fruit. Church is nothing more than just a social club. It's just a social club that has no real impact or bearing on the community in which it exists. 
But the call of, of God on our lives is to live in dedication and obedience to his word, and it's oftentimes not there. And so before we read Luke chapter 13, the parables, I want to read a few other passages. The first one is Revelation chapter 3, beginning verse 1. Revelation chapter 3 verse 1 says this, and here's the angel of God speaking to John, what he's supposed to write, and the seven churches, and he says, write this. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. And here's, here's now the message. I know all the things you do, and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even, that, even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. This, these words were written to a particular church in a particular time, in a particular place, for a particular purpose. And so we can say, well, that was written for that church. It's true. But the truths are timeless. There are principles that apply to us as much as they did to the church of Sardis. The one thing I want to pick out of this verse, you have a reputation. Reputations do not mean reality. Anybody can have a reputation. But the reputation does not determine reality. So they had the reputation of being alive, as it says, but the reality was they were dead. Just D-E-A-D, dead. But there were a few people who were still alive. And I think that describes many a church in the world today. A lot of people in the church, mostly dead, a few live ones. It's unhealthy. I imagine a huge tree, mostly dead branches. The trunk looks okay, then there's dead branches here and there, and there's a few small little branches having some leaves on. That's the mental image I get of that. In the end, all that dead stuff will go. The, hard, the hardness, the shallowness, the division, all that will go. Only the fruitful stuff will stay. Fruit needs to be the product for life to... Um, life to, has to exist for fruit to be the product. It doesn't work the other way. And, and fruit is not made. Fruit is grown. And so Jesus taught this. And so we'll look at a few parables in a, in a minute here, but I just I get, want to go a little bit further here. Jesus taught God's kingdom would grow, not might grow or could grow, he said, it will grow. And it's not a question of will it grow, it's a question of it will grow, but where will it grow and how will it grow? And the question you and I have to ask ourselves is, are we part of this, this growth that's happening, or are we not? We can't be, we cannot, and, and, and I know this sounds maybe strange, this sounds perhaps difficult, but we, you, have you ever seen a partially faked dollar bill, a partially fake $10 bill, a partially fake one? They don't exist. Have you seen a fake, a partially fake loony or a partially fake, fake toonie? You have an either fake toonie or a real one, a fake dollar bill or a real one. Jesus very emphatically and very, very strongly teaches this. You can't be both, partially this and partially that. It doesn't work that way. And so we're either in or we're out. We're saved or we're lost. We're growing or not. And I, I really wrestle and struggle with these ideas. Well, he's a pre-Christian. No, he's not. He's a lost person. He's not a pre-Christian. He's a lost person. He lives in the time before he becomes a Christian. But we don't know if he'll become a Christian. Are we kingdom people or not? 
We can surrender to the teachings of Christ, repent of our sin, obey him, and walk with him in newness of life. But a lot of people just don't get this. It just doesn't ring true, and even educated people don't get this. Let's read John 3, verse 3. Here's Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes at night and wants to talk to Jesus about some stuff. Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't understand it. You can't grasp it. You can't get it. It doesn't work. You have to be born again to see it. So God has to do the work in us. We pray, we, we hear, we are convicted, we pray, and God does the work, but God has to do this. God works this new birth. So Nicodemus kind of is confused, and Jesus says in verse 5, 3 verse 5, John 3 verse 5, it says, I, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives life, gives birth to spiritual life. I was really wrestling with this last week. I was really wondering, how do I encapsulate, how do I define, first of all, before we talk about the kingdom of God, I really have to ask, what is it? What is the kingdom of God? And, you know, you search and you dig and you, you look around, and there's one guy named Matt Chandler. I know some of you have heard him. Um, he's on Right Now Media, and he's a great preacher, I think. So I listened to a short little clip that he, he put out, and he said this. He said, the kingdom of God, and the way he encapsulates it is simply this. He says, three Ds. The first D is dwelling. God's kingdom is God dwelling among his people on earth. God dwelling, living among Jesus came and did that. The Holy Spirit came and did that at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit does that today. God's kingdom dwelling among people. The second D is dominion. God has control. God has rule. God rules. God controls. God living and controlling among people. Then the third D, he said, is God's kingdom is fellowship of disciples. That's a D. So it's, it's dwelling, it's dominion, and it's discipleship. I think Matt Chandler did a good job with that. And so we are disciples. God's living among us. He's guiding and controlling us. And we're his followers. I think it's a beautiful picture. And even in Jesus' prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, he prays, um, he teaches, he says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And what's the next thing? Your kingdom come. That's a prayer Jesus had. Your kingdom come. He wanted the people of his time to understand what God's kingdom is like, how it works, and so on. So let's read Luke 13, verse 18 to 21. Now we're getting there. Luke 13, Verse 18. Here's Jesus talking. He's teaching. And he's asking the question. Listen to this. Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? Then he says, it is like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree and the birds make nests in its branches. That's it? That's it? That's too simple. Is that the best you got, Jesus? Is that the best you have? You almost asked that question. And yet, we, we, we have to be careful, we have to unpack this, we have to really, really be careful not to minimize the impact of this. For instance, um, there's an action verb, there's a verb here, what the mustard seed is doing. It's a man plants a seed in the garden, it's, it grows. The word grow is key. And I want to focus on that thought this morning, that's why I titled my sermon, God Grows His Kingdom. The thought of growth. God's work, God's influence in this world, starting from a very small, insignificant, tiny little thing, a little baby in Bethlehem. Then that journey of the baby boy, the baby boy, and then the, all the stuff that happened. And then at age 30-something, he was killed and he died. And, and he rose again in the Pentecost, and there was this massive growth. Started various, I like the story, by the way, of the, the bread and the fish. Beautiful story. Jesus taking something so small, so maybe insignificant, of no cons. Ah, who, what's that? What's just a lunch, ba- a lunch basket of food? What's that? 
But God did something big and powerful. Jesus telling his listeners, this is God's kingdom. This is what God works like. This is what God does. He takes something small and turns it into something big. Small does not mean insignificant, of no consequence. And everyone here knows why we're so empty. Everyone here knows what COVID-19 is by now. You cannot not know it. We all know it. It's this infinitesimally little small thing called the COVID-19 virus. Somebody gave it that name. And I don't know, I'm not a scientist, but they say it's 10,000 times smaller than a grain of salt. Can't hardly see a grain of salt. Have to really look hard, careful. You can see it, but it's small. Now, 10,000 times smaller. What has the world done? We've shut down the economies, and we've. It, it, there's never been something that has more political, more social, more economic, whatever you want to call it. I'm not. I'm not saying it's wrong that we that we're careful. We're doing our best, I guess. So, we're we're doing what we can. But something so small, so much influence, so much whatever. God does not need big deals and big things to. He can do big things with small things. What I'm trying to say is size is not the question. Size is not the question when it comes to influence and power. Jesus taught the people about God's kingdom. He's the story of a mustard seed. Everyone knew that the mustard seed was a very small, insignificant little seed, but it has some serious um, effects to it. And that's where you and I come in. We may be small, we may be insignificant, maybe not very effective, maybe not making much of a difference. That's how we feel. Our church is not big, we're not rich, we're not powerful, nor very influential. But it doesn't matter. God does not need rich, big power, influence to do big things. He can use small stuff. And in fact, he specializes in using the small stuff. And there's many stories in the Bible of that happened, the story we heard this morning. And then the story, you know, of Gideon and his, soul, and his army. The story of um, that young brother, the Israel's son, sold Joseph, one of the twelve. What can he do? God wants to use you and I right where we are as individuals doing our small little part. And as we continue to serve, our influence may be small, not big, from a worldly standpoint of no consequence, and yet it does make a difference. God is the one who's initiating it. He's behind it. He's protecting it. And with him, it's unstoppable. And you, when we read stories, history stories, many, many stories of people doing their little thing, their one little gift, their one little contribution to God's kingdom, and it does something big. Jesus is saying God's kingdom may be like a mustard seed, small, not significant. It grows and becomes a tree which birds can make their nest in. And there's different commentators that make all kinds of uh, applications there. I won't go into that today. But one small act of obedience, we have no way of knowing where that will lead. Jesus demonstrated that numerous times he would be with people and sick people, he would touch them and heal them, and, and then his fame would spread or the news would spread and people would throng around him. So when Jesus told this parable of the mustard seed, he told his listeners, size is not the issue. God's kingdom may be small, but big things happen because of it. But then right after he told that parable, he went on to another parable. He told another parable. And this parable is also, again, about the kingdom of heaven. It's a different analogy, different comparison, but same point. And it's not about a tree that's growing big and strong. This is about uh, a different event. He says in verse 20, he also asked, verse 20, 
What else is the kingdom of God like? It is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast and three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. I was using a cooking analogy, a baking analogy. Has to do with making food. Happens maybe in a kitchen. And anyone who has ever baked bread knows the importance of yeast. Have you ever had bread that has no yeast? Oh, forgot the yeast. Oh, forgot the yeast. How do you like bread with no yeast? Don't like it. It's no good. It's flat. It's no good. You want yeast in there, and not a lot, a lot either. You don't need much yeast, just, just, just some. And um, again, different writers, they use all kinds of comparisons of what this all means, and they draw up illustrations, analogies from this. But I just want to look at one thing here. The little bit made a big difference. God's kingdom is like that. And uh, I did, find, did look at what's a measure of flour anyway. Three measures of flour. How much could that be? One writer suggests it could be 40 to 60 pounds of dough. That's a lot of dough. At least in my understanding, it's a lot of dough. We never bake a bunch of bread that much. Anyway, so there's a big batch of dough, a little bit of yeast, and it changes everything. But there's something we want to draw attention to with this yeast and uh, that we need to, need to pay attention to. You see, women do this. I've heard women do this. Men don't talk about baking, at least very little. Women do this. They, they go to another woman's house, and then they, they maybe give some bread, or they, they, they'll, come, they'll talk about the bread. And the, oh, the bread is beautiful, or it's nice, it, or it tastes good, or whatever. And occasionally they'll mention yeast, but that's beside, they don't often, but they never, the yeast is never the focus. It's always the bread. They always talk about the bread. Oh, you have wonderful bread. They didn't say, oh, you must have used wonderful yeast on that bread. The yeast is never the focus. It isn't. They never say, oh, you must have used wonderful yeast for this bread. Oh, that bread must have wonderful yeast. They never say it those, they always say, oh, wonderful bread. And then they will ask, what yeast did you use and whatever. So that may be the case. But if the yeast is bad, the bread's no good. Period. And sometimes women say, I'm never buying that yeast again. I've heard statements like that. So the yeast is very important. And Jesus says, the kingdom has like yeast. It's put in the dough and it changes the dough. The question I want to ask is, if the yeast doesn't work, what happens to it? Ladies, have you ever thrown out yeast? Have you ever thrown out yeast? Why? Because it didn't work. It, it got old. Now, if the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, God says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, but if you and I are part of this kingdom, how good are we? Are we actually making the difference that he's hoping we will make? First of all, are we growing as a church, as a body, as God's kingdom? Are we growing? Second, are we making a difference? Just being big is not the answer. Of the young adults this last week, the last two weeks, we talked about the, gospel, the American gospel. And it's a documentary of um, how in, in, um, in America there has been a rise in the health, wealth, prosperity gospel and how dangerous and toxic that can be and is. So churches can get big from this stuff, but it's not healthy. It doesn't mean it's good. So the question we need to ask ourselves, are we growing? And if we're growing, like the mustard seed, are we making a positive influence like the yeast should be? If the yeast has done its job, the bread gets the attention. And sometimes we have this idea, well, I should at least be recognized for my service. I mean, somebody should at least say thank you. Well, then we've got our priorities mixed up. The yeast is not the focus. The bread is the focus. 
So our work as God's children should not to be worried, okay, God, am I the focus here? God is the focus. His kingdom is the focus. We just are in this process doing our job, and God gets all the glory and all the credit. Our job should not be to worry how much we're getting for this. So if you and I are in God's kingdom, we're serving in God's kingdom, being part of the growth process, then we can compare ourselves to either whatever, maybe the yeast, maybe the, the mustard seed, maybe both, but we're not the focus. The focus is God's kingdom is growing. Are we willing to be that agent of growth that God is using? Or are we like Revelation chapter 3, the church in Sardis? You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. A dead mustard seed doesn't grow. Bad yeast doesn't rise the dough. The question is, we will be an influence one way or another. What kind of influence we will be is the question. And sadly, there are many people who claim to be followers of Jesus. There's nothing there. Completely hollow, empty. And it's a disappointment even to the world because they know the expectations that are on Christians. It's important for us to live lives that reflect the glory of God. And in the big picture, God will grow His church, if not thrust into somebody else, but He will grow His church. Jesus told these parables to teach the reality of what God is doing. The people in Jesus, they knew all about mustard seeds. Those little seeds could grow large and birds could build nests in the branches of the mustard seed tree. And so it's not about the size of the ministry. The small things do grow large. And the dough changes the yeast that it's put into. And you can never find the yeast again. The yeast becomes part of the dough. Does that describe us today? That we are the change, the agents of change God wants us to be. We exist in this world for God's purpose. And I have to be honest that all of us together as a community, and I'm, in, in this, I'm including myself in this as well, there's so much selfish living going on. It's about me. So I want the attention, or I want the focus, it's about me. God wants us to use, God wants to use us for His glory to change the world around us to be the light and the salt that he wants us to be, to not be dead but to be alive. And it's so easy to just compromise and be part of the society, the culture around us, and we do not serve as agents of change. And in the end, we're the ones who lose out. There's only one solution for this. It's the road back to the cross. Jesus very clearly says, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up his cross and follow me. And we can do that every day. But there must be something that's part of our lives. Nicodemus needed to do that. The people in Sardis needed to go back to repentance. Maybe today the church in general, North America, needs to repent. Become again that humble, repentant child of God that God can use for His glory. And if we're not yet God's children, it's simple. I'm not saying it's easy, it's simple. We can repent, we can go to the cross, confess our sin, receive forgiveness, and follow Jesus. And when we come to him, he can then use us as his agents of change in the world in which he places us. I don't know where he's placing you. And it may be small, our contribution may be like a mustard seed. Maybe like a little bit of yeast. It doesn't matter. Or, as we heard in this children's story, like the bread and the fish. Just something very small. But if we're going to make a difference, we're going to have to do it his way, not our way. Let's consider that for this week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for your blessings.
in your word. Lord, we pray that as we continue to serve, that we would always keep in mind you're the center. The cross, the focus is what we look to. We don't look to ourselves. So Lord, I just pray as we continue to serve that no matter how small, insignificant, or of no consequence we may feel, it may seem, it may look, when you're at the core of it, it means a lot. And there's life and there's growth and there's change. In your name we pray. Amen.